0: This episode is brought to you by Begin by Soho CRM. So let's face it, you don't have to use spreadsheets, notepads, reminders, and 10 other apps to manage your customer information like you may be doing today. Whether you're a startup, a small business, or a freelancer, did you know that you can manage your business as effectively as any large corporation? With the current market, it's more critical than ever to retain existing customers while also staying on top of your sales pipeline. And you can do this with your business today by saying no to spreadsheets. Big in supercharges your workflow and helps you engage prospects, manage pipelines, and close deals without skipping a single beat. It has a super simple drag and drop interface, which will have you up and running in under 30 minutes. All listeners of our podcast can get up to 15 days for free, the free trial, along with a 50% off and up to $100 when you sign up. Just go to Soho.to forward slash advisor and get started. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So super excited about the guests that we have today. I mean, we're going to be talking about building, scaling, and financing, you know, all the good stuff. And, you know, the founder that we have today, he's been at it for over 20 years. I think that, you know, a lot of lessons learned here that we're going to be covering. But without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Pieter de Villiers. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Alejandro.
0: Great to be with you. So you're originally from South Africa. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Yeah, New South Africa, uh, is a great place
1: to grow up as a kid. You have beaches, um, sunny weather, it's a lot like Australia in many ways from a climate side. So as a child, you're carefree. Um, I was lucky. Um, my dad traveled uh, internationally a lot. So we had an Apple II computer in 1984. And our love for computers really started back then. And um, I studied uh, science a degree in optometry. Realized it's not the thing for me, and did a transition over to te- technology within optometry. And very happy to be a technology founder and
0: an entrepreneur today. So, at what point do you realize that technology is is really you know your passion?
1: You know, when you when you see what you can achieve with scale. Um, you know, if you if you do something on, on a on, on simple um technology platforms and you can repeat it, it's it's amplified the outcome. If you think about optometry as a profession, you're selling an, an hour at a time or 30 minutes at a time consulting and simply you're constrained by the number of days uh in number of hours in your day. So um I realized pretty quickly that whenever your constraint is time technology is going to have to be brought into the mix in order to, to amplify and scale all your outcomes. And so that's pretty the moment.
0: So in your case, you know, like you decided to get together, you know, with a few friends, you know, and and, and, and family members. And then that was really the beginning of a journey. So tell us, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Um, we were inspired by the whole .com Boom and in late '99, early 2000s, um, we felt that the internet is so new and, and so fresh that anyone could get in. There was no ex- experience sort of required. It was a new frontier. It's almost like Web three these days that you know a lot of people can get into it uh, early on. And so we thought about building an e-commerce website back then. Only two things made money: gaming or adult content, and then travel. And we were never going to go to our parents and tell them we want to start an adult content site. So that Mm -hmm. wasn't going to happen. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we looked at last-minute travel deals, uh, flight deals. This was the same time when, you know, low-cost airlines uh, proliferated and and grew tremendously. And when we did the first sort of use case, we realized that this 48-hour travel deal that we were going to send to all of our expat friends in London and Australia and in the US um, would expire before they even got the notification because you know, these were excess seats in the next 48 hours. And so uh, from our optometry days, I remember that we would send information that was important and time critical. We, we could send this information via a pager, but we weren't going to give every human on the planet a pager, of course. And so we also realized that most of us... Ha- in a, in a higher income group started having mobile phones. So we looked for ways to send the alerts about this travel deal um, via mobile texts, um, spent three months on AltaVista and Excite to try and find a solution, it did not exist. Um, and we were crazy enough to go build it and click a tell, click for uh, the, the internet and, and the world's fastest growing commerce platform and tell for telecommunications, the world's fastest growing communications platform uh, was born uh, in June 2000.
0: So let's talk about then. You know the company being born. I mean, what, what were some of the next steps that you guys uh, took? Because I mean, obviously, you know, you guys also built the first messaging API. So I mean, that's quite a an accomplishment. You know, those were the early days too. I mean, we're talking about 22 years ago. I mean, it's a long a long journey here. You know that you've embarked in. So so tell us about those first initial steps. You know, really that you guys took as as a business.
1: Yeah, you know, this was before SaaS, before cloud, before APIs even um, was was a mainstream uh, thing. Even before product led growth was a mainstream thing, and so we just published four lines of code on the web and said anyone who wants to send messaging or mobile text from their website or homepage could then you know get this little widget that would enable that. And within three months, we had more than 76,000 websites who cut and paste this code onto the HTML code for their own page. Today, that won't happen. Like Your security officer will never allow you to do that. But we had massive adoption um, because it was really the Wild West at the time. But a few things happened without us even planning it, almost just stumbling into it, which is, hey, we were not going to collect money from clients in India and the UK and the US. There was no way. We were sitting in Cape Town so having an online payments mechanism and credit card transactions for message credits, that was a logical thing. And before we knew it, we had thousands of clients all over the world because then there was no boundary in terms of who can use the product and the service. It was an API for lines of code. So back then it was super simple and, and it had to make sense, but then you had to get reporting. So as, as founders, we, we found a problem that we felt um, was was interesting enough to solve. Um, and when we made it available at that time for free, we realized there was a lot of interest in it. But within yeah, several months and not too long, we had to shut down the free offering because messaging wasn't free to us. It cost us a fortune. And when you start sending millions of messages, you realize that you, someone has to pay the bills. And so we had to transition into a paid for model uh, within a couple of months. And that was the, the real start of the company.
0: And and that leads me actually to to the next question. And that is that 22 years, you know, is a lot of years serving customers. So I think that in this case, how would you say that the business model of the company has transitioned over the course of time to where it is today? And how are you guys essentially, you know, monetizing and making money today?
1: Yeah, twenty years, twenty-two years feels like a lifetime. In many ways, it is in technology, right? I mean, we went through the dot-com crash because June two thousand wasn't the crash yet, right? It was the 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 run up to it. Two thousand eight, we um, we had to navigate, and then of course, even more recently. So, it seems like a very long time in technology, and a lot of entrepreneurs. Would typically bail out between six, seven, eight years because that's typically the the fund life cycle for the venture capital firms that invested in, into them. So, um, but for us, because we were so early, once w- once you're a first mover in any technology set, it takes a tremendous amount of time for the market to adopt that technology set or that new behavior. So for us, we've we've never had a negative growth here in the history of the company. We've bought a hundred. Thirty million dollar business, alas, with less than twenty million dollars in capital, and so we were—we were arguably perhaps too conservative when we started as non-US entrepreneurs. Uh, I moved to the US in 2006, and so I really sort of you know opened up my eyes in terms of what what is possible. But essentially, um, when you're solving real world problems and real world sort of uh, challenges with businesses, then then you're not you're not managing the clock percentage of how long have you been at it the market is really just opening up now and, and we think that the um, the biggest opportunity is still ahead of us.
0: Now, in that regard, you know, talking about like moving here, I mean, you moved here because it really came to light uh, from the interest that you were getting from Sequoia, you know, that you needed to be a, a U.S. business. So I guess uh, what, that leads me to, to really, you know, wanting to ask you about the capital side of things. So how much capital have you guys raised to date?
1: The capital started with, with the angel investment. We we bought an eleven million dollar business with about sixty seven thousand dollars angel investment. So a very small check, um, but it took us six years. You know, you, you don't get to eleven million dollars with sixty seven thousand dollars investment uh, in a year. It takes time to build that up. But that we did that, and that got the attention of of us. Sandhill Road VCs when we showed up in late 2005 and we could show them our metrics. So we Sequoia led a, a Series A round back in two, late 2006 of uh, $6 million and then they led the, the Series B round in 2011. Um, it was a t- $12 million B round and they led that round um, as well with DAG Ventures coming in, in on that round. And then we were, quite frankly, um, very much building out the tech stack because we were also profitable in that phase. And so only this year in March that we raised a $91 million series, because only now do we believe that the market post-COVID and post-digital transformation is ready for commerce and chat at scale.
0: So that's in total about $109 million. Is that right, give or take?
1: yeah it was a given take two twenty million up until early this year plus 90, 91
0: in march this year got it got it so so in 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 that regard you know the first uh, financings were on the tougher end i mean the i believe that you actually on the angel side you were literally like one week away before you were able to secure a check so what were those days like?
1: Yeah you know entrepreneurs i think are best equipped to to handle those days or those mini crises which is this un, unwavering belief in what you're doing and so yeah before we before we we got our angel check uh, a lot of entrepreneurs by the way outside the US face this um capital availability cost of capital in non US markets you know is very difficult it's changing now thanks to organizations like endeavor and um, latam uruguay you know uh, Spain, Turkish entrepreneurs doing great even Israeli entrepreneurs doing great in the market, so that's all changing now, but back then it was very much a a tale of have and have not and and so generally entrepreneurs in those emerging markets had to be a little bit more re- resilient and resourceful of navigating some of this but um yeah you 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 don't think about the fact that You know, seven days from now, you will have to shut down your door, close your doors or shut down your business. You really live uh, at that point in time from day to day and uh, one step at a time.
0: Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As a founder, you need to always be in problem solving mode and really being faced with challenging situations, whether it's with life or with the business itself, you need to find a way to find the the better solution, the solutions that are going to help you to really overcome that roadblock. And a therapist, a therapist like, for example, the ones that BetterHelp matches you with could be a good option for you. And I mean, I remember, for example, for myself with relationships, with experiences, I've used therapy in the past, and it really helped with the loading Depression, anxiety. So, BetterHelp is a really good solution. You could try it because it's convenient, it's accessible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online where you can get matched with a therapist that could be the right fit for you. So, if you're interested in this, go to betterhelp.com forward slash dealmakers and you'll get today 10% off for your first month. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieberson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at PanteraAdvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And also for you guys, I mean, coming to the U.S. was something that came to light during the conversations with Sequoia or given the interest of Sequoia, which is one of the best uh, investment firms, you know, for venture capital in the world. So tell us about how those conversations, you know, came to light. And and at what point do you realize, hey, I think that I'm in the wrong market?
1: Yeah, you know, we, we were the first company to bring Text notification to the US. Um, we did that in 2004 uh, and five for visa when we met them at a conference. And so back then, text messaging was very much lala palooza, American Idol voting type things. It wasn't at all your one time pins and things like that. So the US was a big market. We landed Oracle as a client, but from Cape Town, um, Oracle wanted to do more than than just sort of one or two use cases. So we really started seeing traction in our US market and client base and realized that the US market could potentially be at, at that time our largest market opportunity. So, but at no point in time were we going to be able to find a US expansion with South African Rand based sort of venture. Um, the exchange rate was one to to nine at the time, and but just didn't make sense. So we looked around at where should we try and do a series A investment round. Most of African entrepreneurs go towards Europe because of the Commonwealth linkages. So London and Amsterdam are typically where you would find entrepreneurs um go to find their funding rounds. But we felt that because we had some US traction and clients that, that the US made more sense, the, the the cost of capital in the US was less as well. So we did go up and down Sandil Road and um yeah, pitched the business. And uh, we ended up with three term sheets. And at the time, Sequoia's term sheet was uh, as competitive as, as at least one other. And and from the brand perspective, which we, we chose Sequoia. Fun story was that um, our partner on the deal was going to be Ruloff. Um, but at the time, he was uh, in the same week. Um, he was being pitched by the YouTube founders. And so he got pulled onto the YouTube deal. And, um, yeah, that's a bit of a
0: fun fact. Wow. And how would you say that the, the I would say the fundraising environment, because, I mean, now you, you're you able to really benchmark, too, you know, with, with, with previous rounds that you've done and you've been raising, you know, money since the early 2000s. So how would you say for the company, how would you say that the market, you know, the fundraising landscape has changed? How has it been for you to go from one cycle to the next over the course of all these years, too?
1: Yeah, it's a great question actually. I mean I think I think a few fundamentals hasn't changed. And and those center around you need access. So we you need someone to make a safe introduction or friendly introduction for you um to the funders. Because they're not going to open up the email and check the mailbox, right? So so I think access is important. I think again, organizations like Y Combinator, like Endeavour, they've they've almost democratized access, perhaps you found that we're not studying at at Harvard or Stanford or in the, in the network per se. Outside of access that's, that's universally still the same, um, you actually do need to have a real a value proposition. I mean, I think we were, when we showed up, we were lucky to be able to really show empirically that there's massive market product market fit and demand for what we were doing. And so I think that that in, in in the in the boom times you can get away with slideware and, and and the promise of a dream, but, but I think the moment the market contracts, then the fundamentals start to matter And so we're actually now in that space right now where fundamentals um are, are very important. And I believe in this moment, entrepreneurs that are a little bit more level headed and 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 sort of sound in terms of their core value proposition have a better chance of getting funded um than entrepreneurs that that's just taking a punch at something that they think um has the right buzzwords in it. So so I think the market is quite fluid. I mean the, the the beautiful thing about capital markets is as brutal as it is, it's also quite uh, sobering and, and realistic in terms of, of how it corrects itself. So I think some of the best entrepreneurs now can get funded, especially early stage, and some of the fluff that we had, the hype versus versus light type of um, opportunities. You know, the the the, the market in the, in the pipeline will purge itself. So I think it's a good time for for solid entrepreneurs, and it's not a good time for for get rich uh, quick uh, schemes.
0: Now, in your case, I mean, you were one of the first to market. I mean, if not the first, and I think that when. You're launching something for the very first time. It's not about educating, you know, potential customers. It's about educating the entire market, you know, or opening a new market that doesn't even exist. So, how was that challenge for you guys, and and what were some of the steps that you took in order to really ramp up and accelerate, you know, by succeeding?
1: Yeah, Leandro, it's 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 a question that we grapple with quite a bit. I mean, the the, the reality is that the first first movers don't typically win the race, right? I mean, if you think about MySpace and AltaVista and, you know, some of the some of the predecessors to Google and and, and and Facebook matter. So the reality is that you can spend a lot of energy and effort trying to educate the market through thought leadership and, and, and innovation. And then other companies that iterate on top of that thing can grab the market. In some ways, actually, that also happened in the communication space. Companies like Twilio, came after us and they're um, several billion dollar business today and very successful business that Jeff has built. Um, so in messaging, we definitely um, were, were first um, in market because if it existed, we would be in travel today. But we learned many lessons around being first to market because we were also now first to market on chat commerce and being able to do payments in the chat construct. And so in, this, in the second... Solver of being first to market, we're really being mindful in terms of how we um, empower our clients to do incredible things uh, and not give up that that uh, that much um, to a quick follower or a me too company.
0: And and one thing that I wanted to ask you here is, you know, if you had the opportunity, let's say, of going to sleep tonight. And you were to wake up in a world where the vision of Clickatel is fully realized.
1: What does that world look like? Well, it's a world where we never get placed on hold by a brand ever again. I mean, I think this idea—I'm—I'm—you uh, know—fortunate enough to be a, a, a platinum Wells Fargo credit card holder, it, but it means nothing. You know, you feel good because it says platinum because somebody t- sold you this idea that it is better than. Than the, than the regular car, but it's, not, it's no better. When you find the platinum number, um, somebody answers the phone, you know, calls you by your first and last name, um, only to hand you over to the general call center number of Wells Fargo, where you're being placed and hold for 34 minutes plus. And so this idea that brands place us and hold up to 17 hours per annum all the time, where we can spend that time better, um, I think it's, it's something that that's, uh, if our vision gets realized, then people will never be placed on hold by the brands they engage with, ever again. Uh, and we can use that time much better for things we, we enjoy.
0: And for the people that are listening to get an idea too of you know, the size you know, of, of the company today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing?
1: Yeah, look, we're a private company, so we don't uh, always give... Um, financial information, but this, the company's 300, 350 employees and that information will be available on LinkedIn and um, we have staff largely West Coast uh, San Francisco, Atlanta Toronto, Cape Town uh, even Lagos Nigeria um, we do innovation at the intersection between communications and commerce um, which really is a place you, know, you and I rearrange our lives in chat you know, school pickup up or lunch with a friend. Uh, and all we do as a company is enable brands to serve us inside those chat platforms we already use. So it's a very exciting space. We have incredible staff and, and talent to help us build out this vision. Um, and in terms of size, we do about 1.5 million payments per day, uh, you know, uh, several hundred million per annum in a communications channel, which is quite unique. Um, and then we do billions of messaging and interactions per annum uh, for clients from banks to insurance firms to target companies to to your local um, uh, franchise.
0: And one question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, you've been at it now for 22 years. I mean, 22 years is a long time. How do you think, I mean, typically you would see founders that, have been at it, you know, with with as individual giving company for like maybe like up to five, seven years, and you know, and then they they get bored, and then you know, like they just jump ship, they do something else. What do you think has kept you going for so long?
1: Yeah, I think you know, if you think about all of our journeys and this journey of you know learning and and growing. You know, we were lucky the, the company never had negative growth here. We've always been up and to the right in terms of, of revenue and client attainment. So um, the founder I was when we started the company, when we were four people, was different to the founder I am now with international offices and global clients. And so um, I guess what, what kept me interested and, and gave me a sense of purpose in my team uh, it's very much that we can see constant growth and and expansion. I do think that founders that um and we were very responsible in our capital raising right if you if you if all you want is unicorn status um and you engineered that unicorn status through all kinds of debt and all kinds of you know uh unrealistic valuation sort of elevations, then pretty soon the pressure gets so big on the entrepreneur. To make good on those promises, that it's no longer a fun place to be, and you're almost better just to you know call quits uh, than to keep at it. But we never did that. We we built this business, you know, with love and care and blood, sweat and tears over many, many years, and it's a solid business that serves real clients with real incredible outcomes. And so, I'm still very, very much energized.
0: It's all about loving it. And as they say, when you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. So, so that's what this is all about. So, so Peter, one question here that, that I'd like to ask you that I typically ask the guests that come on is, if I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, maybe 22 years ago, when you were thinking about, you know, starting, you know, the business and you had the opportunity of giving a piece of advice to your younger self before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: I think it's always the same answer. I haven't, you know, I, I would be surprised if it's anything different. I think that um, people. I mean, we we we're not entrepreneurs and builders of technology companies. I mean, a technology company is really people innovating and building technology. So at the end of the day, we all run people's businesses. And so, as a technologist, uh, understanding how important that is is something I didn't I didn't realize. Yeah, when you when you start a business with with a twin brother and two mates, you know the people thing is almost solved for because you all like each other and you all know each other and you, you there's no people issues to think about. Um, but as you grow the company, you realize oh my gosh, culture and values matter a lot. You know, getting that arrogant but brilliant person on board um, is not going to work out uh, very well, and so. I think my 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 main main theme around advice to myself would be, pay attention to the people matters, and when in doubt, you know, um, you know don't don't hire the person that, that you're not sure about.
0: Love it. And for the people that are, are listening, you know, right now, Peter, and and want to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to to do so?
1: We're available on LinkedIn. Um, it's Peter. The Valiers uh, from ClickItal. You can easily find me and, and, and uh, message me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not that active on Twitter, clearly because my team does that. And, and you know, I've, I, I'm a, bit, a little bit more private than than most maybe entrepreneurs. Uh, but you can find me through LinkedIn and or direct email, peter.clickital. And, all, and uh, look forward to having a conversation.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Peter, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank
1: you, Alejandro, and all the best with your venture.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,